0: If you will be finding in your Bibles Matthew chapter fifteen, Matthew chapter fifteen. We Starting in the first <clears throat> it says, Then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, Why do you yourself transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, what I have that would help you has been given to God. He is not to honor his father or his mother, and by this you invalidate the word of God for the sake of your tradition." You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far, from, are far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Verse 10. After Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles a man, but what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this statement? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. Let them alone. They are blind guides to the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you so humbly into your presence. And Father, we ask God that your Holy Spirit might encumber this place. Lord, that we might humble ourselves before you. Lord, listening to your word, I pray, God, that we can take your word, Father, and, and to nourish ourselves with it. I pray, God, as we go through the passage of Scripture, Lord, that you will bless each and every one of us with the ability to see it as it is, Lord, verse by verse, not twisting it to fin, uh, fix our own wants, Lord, but God will see it as you intended it. Lord God, I pray, Father, uh, for myself, that, Father, you will encumber me with your Holy Spirit and that. Father, nothing of my wretched self would be preached. I pray, Lord, that your word is proclaimed boldly and in power through your Holy Spirit and glorifies you only. We ask these things in Christ's holy name. Amen. Today, we hear a lot about the word pollution. In a world where there are all different kinds of pollution, we hear about it on the news, we hear about it in the newspaper, we hear about it... Uh, Between each other, we have all different kinds of pollution. We have uh, what we call land pollution, where the landscape is altered from its original uh, purity. We have what we call water pollution, where where the water is contaminated either through uh, some sort of spill or uh, a contaminant that enters into the water. We have air pollution, uh, which is where gases are released into the air and are uh, contaminating the purity that is in the air. And we even, what what we have in big cities today, what we call noise pollution, where there is too much noise in the air uh, that causes a pollutant and alters it from its original state. We see that each of these have an original state that contained a purity Uh, from its original uh, state. Some of these qualities that are altered during the pollutant uh, process can be restored through different acts uh, to purify it. When I was uh, uh, in 7th and 8th grade uh, at Hodgen, we would go down to the Black Fork River, and about once a month, we would take a sample of the water and do different kinds of measurements to see how the river had fluctuated. Nick, you may have actually done this a time or two. Um, uh, but anyway, our science class would go down to the river and we would take samples of the water, and we'd take those samples and send them off to the state. And the state would sample or would test the water and check the purity of. The water, and if there was a contaminant, they would come down and 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 try to examine what the contaminant was, that they might be able to purify the water to keep the river clean, since uh, wildlife uh, use that water source. This was a process of purification. Another good example of purification was the Protestant Reformation, when leaders broke off from the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church was introducing things into the faith that was polluting the faith and altering it from its original state. And when people recognized this, they broke off from it. And that's why we have the Protestant churches today, because they broke off in an effort to purify the faith and and bring it back to its original state uh, to us. Perhaps one of the greatest acts of purification was that which Jesus brought down to us. Christ brought a purification down, stripping back those things which man had added to uh, the faith. He brought down a purification that peeled back the works from a faith that were not needed and purified it. We see that this process uh, is not easy. It wasn't easy, and we're still fighting against this today. We see that people who want to add to the faith and add to the Word of God are everywhere. The Word of Faith movement runs rampant, teaching us that if you pray hard enough, that if you add something... That God will bless you. That if you give enough money or if you attend uh, service in an uh, orderly fashion or if you uh, uh, pray hard enough, that God will somehow bless you. This teaching is a pollutant in the faith that we have today. We see that man has always found ways to pollute the purity of the word of God. Always. Always. In fact, we read in Romans chapter 1 that we have always taken the truth and instead of just holding it in its purity, we have always added to it or suppressed it so that it is altered. We have never taken truth at its true value. We have always wanted to distort it so that it might fit our lives, fit our customs, fit the things that we love. We see here as we continue in Matthew, Matthew records such an account where Jesus points out the pollution that had not only encumbered their faith, but had covered the heart of the religious leaders of that day. We see that they had taken the word of man, the tradition of their elders, and they had placed it upon the throne of their heart, where God's commandments should have been. Jesus strongly rebukes them. He brings a strong exhortation to them, and he reprimands them. And we see that truth can oftentimes offend when there's false doctrine involved. To bring a little context to the scripture that we are studying through, Jesus and the disciples had just come across uh, the Sea of Galilee and to the northwestern shore of Garneseret. We see that once Jesus landed upon the shore there, that the village folk, they began to recognize him, and it says that news about Christ exploded and went throughout the entire um, northern district. This district was the northern part of Israel. And so everyone began to know that Jesus was in this area, that Jesus was healing, Jesus was preaching, Jesus was teaching, and it brought in a, a, a huge crowd where everyone was bringing their sick so they might desire just to touch the fringe of his garment knowing that power might depart from them from him and heal them they desired real power and this is they weren't desiring what the Pharisees had given them for so many years but they desired real healing forgiving power that was from God they wanted saving power No doubt, these people who were affected probably many times sat in front of the temple gate and begged for prayer from the temple elders. But still, they were left without healing, without forgiveness of sin. We see that they had become the outcasts of Israel, and due to their leprosy, due to their lameness... Due to their sin, they needed forgiveness and healing from much more than what man could give them. They needed healing and forgiveness from God. We see that word spread down to Jerusalem, where the Pharisees and the scribes had heard of the great and the miraculous power of Jesus that was being taught and being displayed to men. We don't see in the scripture how long Jesus was in Gennesaret, but we do see that it was long enough for a short trip. The Pharisees and the scribes, they make a 90-mile trip north from Jerusalem, and they come to see Jesus' healing power here in the scripture. The Pharisees and the scribes, they enter the scene starting in verse 1. And they had one thing on their mind. They didn't come to Jesus and ask him how he was doing these things. They didn't come to him and ask him where, they, where he had received his power. They didn't come and ask him how might we do these things so that we can help more people. But they come and they ask, why have you disobeyed the traditions of our elders? We see that their mind was on one thing and it was of the word of man. Their minds were on the word of man. They had no desire to do heavenly things. And that showed in their speech. But they asked him, starting in verse 2. It says, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, we see that their minds were totally wrapped up in the traditions of the elders. So what were the traditions of the elders? Were they scripture? Were they they power holding? Did they have some sort of power to them? Were they uh, words from God? When you look at the Greek translation here, the word traditions could be translated rituals. So we see that they were wrapped up in the rituals of their elders, the things that they had been taught uh, from a very young age. We see that the traditions that they were referring to was the one that was found in the Talmud, not in the Scriptures. The Talmud was a book of tradition, a book of customs and of rituals that were all about Judaism. It was full of Talmudic and rabbinical law that was traditional and was studied excessively. Excessively was it studied. It was practiced when they got up, when they lay down, when they went in, when they came out, when they ate, when they drank. They were constantly practicing the rituals and the traditions of their elders. In every aspect of their life, They were following after the traditions and the rituals of their elders. We see that they even, uh, the people who disobeyed the traditions and the rituals of their elders, their punishments were the same as those who disobeyed the Old Testament law. We see that punishments... For not obeying the traditions and the rituals, could equal the same punishment as being with a harlot. We see that in this, their traditions and their rituals had grown in their mind to be on the same level as the law of Moses. They viewed the law, the, uh, the traditions of their elders on the same level as the law of Moses. In fact, we see that it became so extensive that they had what they called a law of intention. A law of intention. You see, there were so many traditions and so many rituals that they had to go, up, go into from sunup to sundown that it was almost impossible for them to complete them all in one sitting of a day. And so they had what they called the law of intention. And that was where if they said, well, I intend to be pure all the day long they could waive the rest of it. I intend to follow all this law, and therefore I waive all of them. I intend to be pure. We see that Jesus' disciples were not following after the traditions of the elders. They were not following after these rituals. We see that they had so elevated the traditions of man that they were condemning the very disciples of Christ. The word and the tradition of man had taken place in their heart where God's commandment should have been. And we see that Jesus capitalizes on this response with his very own question. We see that he exposes their gross intention of placing man-made rituals in the place of divine instruction. He exposes them with his very own question. This is very very rabbi-like. When you begin to study the scripture, you'll see that, um, that rabbis would do this, teachers would do this. When they were asked a question, they would reply with a question. It was to trigger a deeper sense of thinking. Christ was trying to draw in the Pharisees and the scribes so that they might listen to what they're saying. Jesus asks His his own wise question. Jesus, we see that He establishes the Word of God back where it needed to be, and that was above the Word of man. He confronts them with a question where He says in verse 3, It says, and he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So to this point, we see that That the Pharisees and the scribes have come to Jesus and to their disciples, and Jesus is healing, and Jesus is preaching, and Jesus is teaching. And they come to him and they say, Why do you transgress the traditions and the rituals of our elders and of our fathers? And Jesus turns around and says, Why do you transgress the commandments of God? Jesus brings to point, or to true, he brings to light the true point that was in their heart. Was it more important to follow after the words of men or after the words of God? And we see that Christ doesn't stop there, but He gives an example of the wrongdoing and the corrupt heart of the religious leaders. We see in verse 4 that He quotes Old Testament Scripture. These being Pharisees and scribes, they knew their Old Testament. They could quote most of it. He calls to their attention some Old Testament Scripture of the Mosaic Law. It was the fifth commandment. Thou shalt honor thy mother and father. We see here that Christ established the Scripture in its rightful authority with his counter. The scribes and the Pharisees, they came with the authority of their elders, but Christ came with the authority of God. And he established that they had become corrupt in their traditions by giving the example of the tradition called Corban. Corban, as we read in Mark in this same account. To give a short explanation of what Corban was, when, when the eldest son of the family, when it came time to... Take care of your mother and father, that's actually what the Old Testament Scripture means when it says honor your father and mother. It means to take care of them when they're old. When it comes time for that, the eldest member of the family, the eldest son who was responsible for caring for the mother and the father, could say, they could declare the tradition of Corbin, which was, well, they would say, all the money that I have saved up to take care of you in your old age, I've given it to God. Therefore, they were released from their responsibility of taking care of their elderly parents. They could weasel their way out of taking care of their elderly parents. We see that by declaring this, that this man-made tradition was obeyed and God's commandment was left nullified. They obeyed man's tradition, but God's commandment was left to the side. Church, this was idolatry in the highest degree. This is high, uh, idolatry in the highest degree. Degree. This was bowing down to the traditions and to the rituals of man and worshiping and leaving the altar of God barren. We see that the Lord takes this very seriously. This angers the Lord, that praise would be given to man and not to him. We see this fact in the Old Testament over and over and over again with Israel. Israel would fall away and would praise idols and lift them above the name of the Most High God and God would come down on them with His wrath. To give a short example, in Deuteronomy 4, 25, God foresees, He tells them of what will happen when they enter the land of Canaan. He says... When you, become father, when you become the father of children and children's children and have remained long in the land. So he's saying that once you've been there a long time, once generations have passed, once you've been in the land a long time, listen to what he says. When you have become fathers of children and children's children and have remained long in the land and act corruptly and make an idol in the form of anything and do, in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I will call the heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will surely perish quickly from the land which you are going over the Jordan to possess it. You shall not live long on it, but will be utterly destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the people and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord drives you. God was warning them ahead of time. He was telling them of what was going to happen. That idolatry would not be accepted among the number. They would make an idol of anything. Friend, this has been the characteristic of man since the beginning. To take the word of God and to suppress it and to worship anything else. Anything else. We see that God hates idolatry. And he will not allow it among his people. He promises to utterly destroy Israel and scatter them from the land. To where they would be few and insignificant. We see that this call from Jesus should have led to repentance. Jesus calling out the the Pharisees and the scribes saying that you have honored the words of man over the word of God. It should have led them to repentance. But instead it confronted their stubborn heart and it was hardened and they were angered. We see that Jesus, he further calls out their sin by referring to an Old Testament scripture of Isaiah. Where Isaiah prophesied that these people who spoke as if they were close to the Lord, but their hearts were far away. Christ was calling them hypocrites. They were uh, being deceptively portrayed as godly individuals. But they were unknowingly working against the will of God. They had, in an example, they had drunk poison and they didn't even know it. Jesus here switches his attention. We see that the Pharisees, they there was no repentance that came from them. so Christ he begins to shift his attention to the people that were among him. He uses this as a teaching opportunity. In verse 10, he starts to turn his attention to the people. We see that after rebuking the religious leaders that Jesus, he draws the crowd near. Now, what crowd was this? Well, it was most likely the crowd that had come to see him heal and to see his power and to be healed. And to witness his power. They had witnessed Christ's rebuke. And no doubtingly they were amazed at his authority. We think of Christ. And he had never went to a rabbinical school. He wasn't a Pharisee. He wasn't a scribe. He was no one of authority as far as Judaism was concerned. He was a carpenter's son. But yet here he is showing divine authority against the religious leaders of the day. They must have been completely amazed. Completely amazed. We see that the crowd drew near to him and he he told them to hear and understand. He begins to teach them. He says here in, in verse 10 and 11, it says, And after Jesus called the crowd to him, he said to them, Hear and understand. Verse 11, It is not what enters into the mouth that defiles the man, but what proceeds out of the mouth. This defiles the man. We see, first of all, that this was radical. This was absolutely radical radical to what the Jewish people would have been taught and heard in this day. All the Jewish people had ever known was what they did, what they did not do, what they ate, what they did not eat, what they drank, what they did not drink. That was what defiled them. That was what brought them righteousness. This is why we had so many grievous sacrifices and rituals and traditions in the Old Testament. Have you ever read where, where Moses comes off of Mount Sinai and he says, this is how the temple will be built? How many chapters are dedicated to all the detail of the temple? How many chapters are dedicated to all the detail of the sacrifices? All they had ever known was what they did and what they did not do. And that was what defiled them. If they sinned, they were outside of the communion to God. They had to go and make a sacrifice. They had to make sure that sacrifice was blamed, They bring it and kill it. Offer it up as a burnt offering. Very cumbersome. Very cumbersome. What Jesus said here was radical. It turned their religion upside down. Because by saying this, Jesus was figuratively saying that God is not so much concerned with the things that are practiced because of the law of Moses, but rather God is concerned with the things that are practiced because of the condition of the heart. Did a man hold fast to the practices for the approval of the elders? Or did he hold fast to the practices for the approval of the Lord? We look at how the Pharisees reacted. We see the disciples, they came to him and in in verse 12 they say, Lord, did you not know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? It's almost as if the t- disciples came to him and they said, Lord, you have to watch what you say around here. You might offend someone. These are high teachers, these are members of the Sanhedrin. You're going to offend them if you keep teaching like this. And of course, of course, they were offended. They had dedicated their life to ritual and custom and devoted themselves to all of this instruction, and here comes a new teacher and completely tears it all down and says that it's wrong. No wonder they constantly planned on how to destroy him. Their authority was beginning to be tarnished. The eyes of men were slowly gliding off of them and focusing on Christ. The people began to look at Christ's righteousness. Not the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. We see that it was a righteousness that didn't come from grievous teaching and grievous instruction and ritual and tradition. But it was a righteousness that came by faith. We see here that Jesus replies to the disciples with a very short parable. A short parable. Here in verse 13 it says, But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be uprooted. A very, very short parable. Now, what did this mean? Well, it could be true in several instances. It could be true about teaching, a certain type of teaching. Firstly, we see that teaching, that every teaching that is not from the Heavenly Father, that is not planted in the heart of the teacher, that is not from the Heavenly Father, it will be uprooted and it will be utterly destroyed before truth. Secondly, we see that it's truth about the teacher as well. Every teacher that is not called by the Lord, that is not planted by the Father, he will be uprooted when truth is met with him. Christ was referring to what had just happened with the scribes and the Pharisees. Oh yes, they were teachers as we read in, in uh, Romans 2. They loved to call themselves teachers of the babes and guides to the blind. But when they were met with truth from the Christ, they were uprooted. Christ continues to give them instruction concerning the religious leaders. He says, let them alone. They are blind guides to the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit we see that Jesus shows the Pharisees' heart to the disciples. They could not see truth because they didn't want to see truth. They led others in the way as well. Their unwillingness to seek the truth left them blind, and they were taking others down with them. Just as Romans shows us, they were teachers of of babes, and they approved of the things that were more excellent, and we see that they carried a high pride in this, but yet they never taught themselves. We see that in Acts, when Jesus Christ was preached to them, that they could not hear the truth, but yet they covered their ears and ran and said, Teach no more. When confronted with truth, they were uprooted. We see here that, that Jesus finishes his teaching with, with the disciples, telling them the condition of the heart is what defiles a man. From the heart is where sin flows, where it comes. If you see verse 15 and read with me, it says... And Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus replies in verse 16, he says, Are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes out, that goes into the mouth, passes into the stomach and is eliminated? But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. Verse 19 For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and slanderers. These are the things which defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands? Does not defile the man. We see that from the heart is where murders and adulteries and fornications and thefts and false witnesses and slanderers are formed. Jeremiah, he preaches on this to us in the Old Testament. He says, The heart is deceitful above all things and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? It was the heart that led the religious leaders. To hold the word of man over the word of God. We see that their heart had led them to follow after the elders and not after God. They had become corrupt and defiled according to to the desire of their heart. Their their heart had, had blinded their eyes and had wounded their ears so they might not hear sound doctrine and sound teaching. So what... Is the application. How can we take this 2,000 year old account. And apply it to church living today. How is it not out of date. Well firstly we can take from this passage. That we are all sinful. And we desire not the truth. We take the word of God. And we add the word of man to it every single time. We see that our heart is desperate, not for the truth, but for the truth that we make. We see that just as the Pharisees hated Jesus because of his teaching, our flesh hates the truth of Christ because it condemns flesh every single time. We must put it to death. In Romans eight eight, Paul tells us of this that those who live that it says here, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Galatians five sixteen, Paul commands us. He says, "But I say, walk in the Spirit, and you will not you will not gratify the desires of the flesh." In Colossians three five, he says, "Put to death therefore the things that are earthly in you." We see that our sin must be stripped away. We see that when a sinful desire rises its ugly head in our heart, we must violently kill it. So that it doesn't take root and condemn us. We must not give footing to evil in our flesh. Galatians 5.17 tells us, For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh for those uh, for these are the uh, for these are in opposition to one another so that we might not do the things that we please we see that this describes a war that the spirit and the flesh are battling one against another The second application that we can take from this is that under the calling of the Lord, we must repent. We must repent at the calling of the Lord. Knowing our sinful selves and our sinful will, we must surrender all to the Lord. Because we do not have the strength to battle against it on our own. Ephesians 6, 12 tells us, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of the wickedness in the heavenly places. We see that we can't fight this on ourselves. We cannot conquer it by ourselves, but we need a Savior to conquer it for us. We need a Savior that will come and conquer the wickedness of the world around us. We see that through repentance... We will give up those things which defile us, the things of our heart's desire, so that we might live by the Spirit. Ephesians 24 tells us, and put on the new self which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and in holiness of the truth. Friend, for you to be pleasing to the Lord, you must not be of yourself. For you to be pleasing to the Lord, you must come ro- uh, clothed in the robe of Christ. Man can create rituals and we can create customs and we can create rankings and none of it for the glory of God. We must be planted by the Father or else we will be uprooted. In closing, we see a few things. We see that we are not pleasing on our own before the side of the Lord. Even with all of our rituals, with all of our customs and rankings and traditions. We see that church attendance can be our most faithful aspect, but work does not save the soul secondly we see that the Lord offers truth the question is is will you heed it we can do nothing to gain salvation on our own terms but what the Lord says is sin is sin much so in every way and what the Lord says is righteousness is only found in his son our hearts are defiling and evil And therefore, we need to renew them in salvation. Lastly, we need to make note that Christ says, Let them alone, for they are blind. We see that they were unwilling to see the beam in their own eye, but rather would look for the splinter in others. They didn't heed the word of the Lord while he called. They didn't take it seriously. Friend, we see that salvation is not on our own terms. You cannot waltz yourself in here and declare that God saved you. It is solely on Christ's terms. We cannot be so arrogant to think that we can be saved at any given moment. Lord, I'll put off your salvation until I am ready. How arrogant. Come while he calls. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for today. Father, we thank you for the teaching of your word. For the truth that is in it, Father. I pray, Father, that... this word did not land upon dim ears and on a calloused heart. Father, I preach nothing but the word. I would not add an opinion. I would lose all power. Father God, I pray, Lord, that your word was proclaimed in a way that was pleasing to you, that your Holy Spirit might encumber the hearts of those who are listening, Father, and that they might abstain or abstain from things that that would pollute your word, that they might lift your banner and your word high, Father, in their heart, that it might not be claimed by any man-made ritual, ranking, or custom, Lord, but stand firm in your word. Lord, we ask you for your forgiveness on these In these places that we fail. We ask these things in Christ's holy name. Amen.